0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: Hello and welcome to our probably most important discussion of all time on this Front Office Features podcast with the CEO of We're All a Little Crazy, the same here global mental health movement, Eric Cusin. Eric, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, man. And uh, (laughs) I'll I'll try to live up to that billing at the top of the show. (laughs)
1: Well, you and I were discussing right before we hit the record button how this topic of conversation has come up recently between my partner and I, Rob. And the first thing that came to my mind was I need to get Eric on because who better to discuss the topic of uh, mental health incorporating into sports and what we're all dealing with right now than you, who who has an amazing story. You and I are colleagues eight to almost 10 years ago now, which was crazy through the New Jersey Devils. Um, and then you went on to go on to the chief revenue officer of the Florida Panthers, got out of the business, and then that's when the story takes off. So... I'd love for you to tell our listeners what what happened and, and how did you get here to become the CEO of this amazing movement?
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, so I think for everyone listening, Chris and I, uh, colleagues through the Devils organization and, you know, it, it, the, being in sports, I think you get caught in this vision from a young age that I'm going to go from being an associate to an assistant, assistant to a manager, a manager to senior manager director senior director vice president and on up and so in that vein you know i i started at the nba league office was fortunate enough to get that position directly out of college and from there it was just opportunities to work for different teams so started a WNBA team in chicago and was their director of sales then went to the phoenix suns and mercury then the next position was at the devils where we met um to be their vp of sales and service and then this this opportunity with CRO with the Panthers came up, and and I I give that background right because like or right, who cares about the details of that stuff right all right yeah we got people who are listening who are in the sports industry, and so I guess it's an interesting uh, little path, but the most important thing is my life was my job right, and, and and I want everyone to consider that as I'm telling the story. Many of us grow up playing sports who end up working in sports, so. My life was playing sports growing up. I played four sports in three seasons in high school. Everything is about win, 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 be the best athlete you can, potentially get scholarships or be the best teammate you can, win championships. And then you go and you work in sports and you still got that, you know, alpha dog mentality, so to speak. Uh, You're still ultra competitive. But I think more than anything is you have this myopic focus on this is who I am. This is my identity. This is my purpose. And so I certainly followed that path, right? Like the 2012 run with the Devils is amazing, right? Like you're on top of the world. Granted, it sucks to lose. Um,
1: That still stings, by the way. That still stings losing that. stuff. I did it
0: now. Like we go that far. Talk about mental health. I, I didn't know mental health at the time, but I just remember looking at Kelly Cheeseman, who was VP of Sales and Service with the Kings. He came to us for game I want to say it was uh, five, right? So we lost one and two and then won one on the road and then had a chance to come back here uh, to the, to, to the devils. And I think we won that game to bring it back to LA. And I just remember turning to them and be like, are you as spent as I am right now? <laughs> like the emotional uh, roller coaster that you want it you're on, it takes a lot out of you. And obviously for you and I, it sucks to go that far and not get a ring. Um, but, but still an incredible experience. And so, When I I went to the Panthers, right, you know, you're thinking of this career arc and this career hierarchy, and you're thinking, okay, I'm the CRO of this team. I got hired with this guy, Matt Caldwell, who's still there right now with the Panthers, who's the CEO. And so I'm one step away from this dream spot that I have, which is being a business president, a CEO of a sports professional sports organization. And um, so I buried my nose in the ground even more with work, and, and I love the day to day. And if you ask me, I have pictures of my first six months working there, pictures of the first Halloween that I spent on Las Olas Boulevard. And I'm smiling and things are going the way I want them to go. And we're interviewing people and getting a chance to build a staff from scratch. And they really kind of gutted out the business operations and let us make our mark there in a market that, you know, is not the easiest market to sell in. And in a market that had been ravaged previously, uh, no disrespect to the previous regime that was there, but their, their philosophy was, this is a hard market. to sell, them. let's cop tickets and give them give away. It away.
1: Yep. Free, free tickets. I remember if you had like a Florida driver's license, you got free tickets or something yeah, like that. And,
0: you know, parking's free if you've got this and you know, then they would, they would leave tickets in shoe boxes for people. And their goal was to sell sponsorships to the P you know, because they had a lot of people in the arena that they were giving tickets away from, which obviously cuts off half of your revenue stream. So we had a, you know, win back the loyalty and the trust of the, of the fan base down there. And, and, and I think uh, in fairness, this is a total tangent. I love Vinny Viola and that whole ownership group, and I do think that they're going to go on to do great things. They invested in Joel Quenville. They, in, they invested in uh, Bobrovsky. They've, they've got incredible draft picks. I, I think the team is going in the right direction. It was just such a mess for so long. It's taken a long time to turn it around, but I didn't even get to taste any of that. Right. Because six months into my tenure there again, things are going great. And then all of a sudden it was like my brain and my body just hit a pause button, hit a brick wall and I just stopped. And what what I could I could describe how that feels for everyone is imagine making waking up one morning and it's like pushing yourself out of quicksand to get out of bed. And you get, you know, on your feet and you and you go to walk to your closet because there's a little more space in Florida than there yeah. is in other cities that I've lived in. And and it feels like you're you got cinder blocks on your feet. And you're taking these steps and then you look in your closet, and even though everything's organized, it looks like it, a bomb's gone off of there. And you can't make out a, a shirt from a from a pair of pants, from shoes. You've forgotten about the fact that you haven't even showered yet. And just nothing's connecting. There's nothing connecting in your mind. You you have to remind yourself of your morning process just as it's not resonating with you. And I forced myself to go in the office that day. I don't know, but you know, that goes back to like the whole your identity is your is your job and your your career. And I was like, oh, I gotta get in today, regardless of how I'm feeling. And I just remember sitting at my desk, looking at my screen. And for those old enough to remember the game, my screen looked like light brights, it looked yeah. like just flashing lights everywhere instead of the clean lines of emails that we see all the time. And I remember looking at the staff, and usually like you know, this staff is your group sales staff, that staff over there, is season tickets, that staff is sponsorships. It felt like Grand Central Station to me. Like it like it just felt like everyone was moving a million miles a minute and I couldn't figure out who was where. And I I I went out of my way to as someone who, you know, you you haven't worked for me before, I like being interactive with people. I like asking people to come in the office. I like calling meetings and doing things that are camaraderie building. That day. And I just, I couldn't do it. And I was pretending like I was on the phone all the time and just staring blankly at my computer, just nothing was resonating. And that night we had a game and we invited prospects to the game. Like we, we would normally do. And we'd have them up to the suite uh, between the first and the second period. And you give an impassioned speech. Like you usually do when there's people there about why you want to join this growing family, right? That, that we're changing direction. We've got, We've got new captains, meaning, Vinny and Doug, the owners and, and Matt, the president, and you know, I could give you better speech now than I could back then just because my mind is, is, is more well intact now, but you know, you're talking about, you know, having just drafted Jonathan Huberdeau, right. And, 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 uh, and Luongo still being the goalie on the team and bringing in a new ownership group and willing to invest and, and willing to build trust with the fan base. Well, that's the speech I would have loved to have given, but I remember, Five minutes before everyone came into the room, my mind just felt blank and I'm pacing around and I have a little index card with me. And the only thing I could think to write on the index card is, hi, my name is Eric Hewson. I'm the chief revenue officer with the Florida Panthers. It's great to meet you. And then it just stopped. I could nothing else came to mind. And I, I, when people were in the suite, I literally read off that card. So I couldn't even remember that little piece that I just sent you there. I had to read that. And then I just go, this is Matt, our team president. He'll take it from here. And I walked out. And I went to my office and um, I was left alone, you know, for the whole game, you know, which that happens a lot of times with executives, right? We got office work to do. And, uh, and, and Matt and Vinny came to my, my, my desk after, uh, after the game was over, in a, in, not in a controversial way at all, not in a way of calling me out, but in a supportive way hey, we notice things are up. We want to make sure everything's okay. Let us know what we can do. And I said, guys, I don't know what's going on with me. I don't know if I have a brain tumor. I don't know if I have a... And by the way, it wasn't... I didn't say it as cleanly as this um, uh, when I said it. But I said, I don't have a brain tumor. I don't know if I had a traumatic brain injury from sports that's just coming to haunt me right now. I don't know if it's this thing called mental health. And so to give everyone some perspective, this is the beginning of 2015 that this is happening. So if we think we're not in a good place yet of talking about mental health in offices right now in 2020. Imagine what it was like five years ago. And, you know, Vinny, Vinny looks me in the eye and, and, and he's got a military background. He's a West Point grad as, as is Matt, a West Point grad. So they have experience with, with mental health. That doesn't mean necessarily that they, they need to be open and and, uh, accepting of things, but they certainly were at least in this case. And Vinny looked at me in the eyes and said, listen, we love what's getting built here. We love what you've been doing. Take as much time as you need one month, two months, three months, come back, hit the ground running. And when I heard three months, right, that was the, 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 your mind always goes to worst case scenario. Right. And you're thinking, okay, three months. Who's not going to get better in three months? My identity is Eric, the sports executive. He's given me a shitload of time to get back. That's really, you know, generous of him. But, but I've had strep throat before, bronchitis, pneumonia. As long as I don't have a brain tumor and I have to go uh, chemo, which I'll, I'll give you in a little bit later in the story, something that I have a lot of experience with with cancer. Um, I figured three months is an eternity. Who's not going to get back from three months? So I left all my stuff in Florida, kept paying the rent on my apartment and took a plane flight with a small bag of clothes back to New York where my parents live. And my bed is still the same bed it was when I grew up, even though I'm 6'4 and two forty. I have a twin bed in my house.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry for the visual.
0: No, it's you no, know, and it's it's a formica bed or whatever the name of that material is. Where it's kind of like there's a bed board in the in the back and in the front. So like I'm literally you know like like a, a jack in the box um, caught up in between the two. But I'm I'm, I'm staring at the ceiling. And I, I, what I could describe is I didn't have any original thoughts coming to my mind. Like my, my brain just felt like someone had pulled the plug out of the back of my brain computer, and I blue screened, and it was just done. There was nothing, no under, no energy that was left to continue to run it. And I went to what's called a psychopharmacologist because that was what was recommended to me. And I, he asked me to fill out this chart. How are you feeling related on a one to a ten? you know, related to these factors. And then it was phrases like, my life is awful. I can't imagine living like this for the rest of my life. Right. And, and I remember I spent 15 minutes in his office and all he's doing is, is adding up the numbers. And he just looks at me and he goes, Eric, you have a shitload of depression on top of a shitload of anxiety. You need heavy artillery to knock this out of you. Oh, I'll, I'll foreshadow a little bit here. My diagnosis ended up not being depression, ended up not being de- anxiety <laughs> and Heavy artillery, in his case, meant taking a lot of drugs. So I left the first doctor's appointment I ever went to in trying to figure out what was going on with me with five different prescriptions, right? Five different medications to take all at once. And for those who know anything about medications, there was an SSRI, which is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, which is your baseline type of, um, you know, Zoloft, Prozac, Lexapro. But then there was a benzodiazepine, which a lot of people commonly refer to like as a Xanax or or a clonopin. And then there was, you know, the off-label stuff like that that helps boost the SSRI. And then there's this stuff called a It's that's a booster also that's a an on-label booster to to the SSRI. Like it was just one thing after another. And and I was told to take a cocktail of these things. Now, in fairness to to me taking those things and thinking that was the right thing, when we're sick when we're younger. <laughs>
1: And this is Dude, what I, drugs. I mean,
0: said to me, you know, take 3 months. When we're sick when we're younger, we have streptococcal bronchitis pneumonia, whatever it is, and we go to the doctor, family doctor, and they give us this magic pill called an antibiotic. We take it for 2 days and we start feeling better so quickly that we almost resist taking it for the for the next 8 days because we're like, "What do I need to keep taking this for if I feel fine?" I didn't think it was going to be that easy, but think about the commercial still to this day we see related to uh, uh, antidepressants. We see it, they've even gotten to the point of simplifying it, where you don't even see a cartoon character of a person. You see a cartoon character of a blob, a blob that has eyes and a, and a sad face on it, and it's just bouncing around. And there's gray clouds above the, above the blob. And then all of a sudden, 15 seconds into a 30-second commercial, this beautiful music starts sounding. A pill is introduced. The um, you know the, the the blob's sad face becomes a smiley face. As the clouds go away, the sky becomes blue, the birds start chirping, and the sun is shining, everything's great, right? So if that's what you're told, and there's this narrative there being a chemical imbalance in your brain, then it would make sense that off the heels of knowing how you got better from an antibiotic, you're thinking the way to get better is to find the right combination of this magic soup of pills that are going to go into my brain and even out this imbalance that I have, whatever this imbalance is which at the time is being called anxiety and depression. So that narrative of, of, of you know, and, and, and I, I'm, I'm a stubborn bastard, I work hard at things, but I also, you know, uh, uh, want to go with what the right recommendations are. Well, for two and a half years, 99% of that time, I'm spent laying horizontal in a bed, staring at that ceiling, no original thoughts coming to mind, just staring at paint chips. The only thing wondering the entire time, why am I feeling this way? as I'm in just this hell and the only thing going through my mind in the hell that I'm able to generate my mind is well if I hold on for another four weeks until I try a new set of pills maybe that'll be the set that finally knocks me out of this and the combination of sleeping more and taking the right pill will make me feel better (laughs) well you
1: you so the I think let's yeah back up the what you were probably trying to accomplish was getting back to what you originally talked about was the, your identity was Eric, the chief revenue officer of the Florida Panthers. And you were willing to do whatever it took to get back to that point. And to your, your history would tell you like the doctors make me better. If I take these pills, I'll go back to my executive office and I'll be back to being who I think I'm supposed to be. Is that was, that was probably your mentality.
0: Look, I mean, you know, I was fortunate at the time, you know, there was a piece of me that was Eric the uncle, and my nieces lived there. But I couldn't even feel that identity because I couldn't have feelings for my nieces, right? There, there was nothing. Co- so, so just to show you how you you mess yourself up even more. When I mentioned that my brain was blank, I tried to test myself. I said, Eric, you worked in the NBA for 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 all these years. There, there are a number. I didn't even know the number. I was like, there are a number of NBA teams take a piece of paper and prove to yourself you can remember all the NBA teams. I got to the Knicks and the Nets and I stopped. Couldn't think beyond that. My brain couldn't process beyond two teams in a local market that I lived in. It it sounds like a fabrication, right? For that to be the case, but that's how dysfunctional my brain was at that time.
1: No, it's, it's look, this is, this is exactly why we're having this conversation because people Probably go through the exact same feeling, but don't know what to do. And when you, again, I, I, I have a lot of opinions on what you just mentioned how they how they market medical drugs and the the commercials that you see and make it all flowery and roses like it's going to be all okay. But essentially, what they were doing is they were comatosing you. You they've turned they turned your brain off more than actually tried to turn it back on.
0: I think that's part of it. I mean, I think when you'll hear what ultimately caused the initial crash in the first place. Which, which, which will be co- come a little later on in the story. I think that was a piece of it too. But I absolutely do believe, I agree with you, that the side effects or the main effects of the anti antidepressants oftentimes, yes, turn pieces of the brain off in a way that make you worse off, right? Because even for the people that the drug works, we often hear so much of what are some of the other negative things that come along with the, quote, working that it's doing, right? Um, for
1: for sure, and I I think that's the scary part for for folks is like what where am I supposed to turn if not to the doctor?
0: Where am I supposed to turn if not to the doctor? And, and 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 remind me to go back to that when I'm done with the story because I think we're working on fixing that. Um and and because the doctors are the trusted source and they have been to us our whole lives, we don't believe that a doctor's interests are making money or thinking of us as a customer versus a patient. And by the way, I'm not painting with a broad brush here. I, I, I think there's some incredible doctors out there who have patients' best interests in mind and I've met many of them. But I also am not blind to the fact that if they're going through this experience that there are a lot of doctors out there, especially in the space of psychiatry, where we are a number. And the 15 minutes that we do spend in the office and that's it for them to write a new script and tell us to start something else and see if it works. That's just a rinse, wash, repeat of another payment that they get for you coming in. And I don't think, look, I don't think anyone maliciously goes out of their way to to, to point you in the wrong direction, but there absolutely is a culture in this space of my job is to throw darts at the dartboard and make an educated guess on what I think will work for this patient based on the symptoms that they're telling me they have.
1: Which is, that's, that's that in itself is scary, right? As you, as you think about raising your hand and asking for help, and I think we'll get to that, like you mentioned, of where can people turn, but let, let's take it back to the sports industry. So you've had the ability to oversee a young staff, which you've also been in the industry and cracked in with the NBA at a, at a young age, and the stress that comes along with making no money, probably moving to a new city. What are some of the things that you look back on now even in your career as when you first started out and then also when you're imagining young people that people should be aware of when dealing with mental health and working in sports?
0: So if you don't if you don't mind Chris I want to bank that that question for a second because I think it 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 contributed to where I ended up at when I was 35 but there's but there's a piece that even came before that that I want to share so I think sharing it in its totality will help put it in in context and in perspective, does that make sense?
1: Absolutely, for okay. sure. All
0: right, so so I'm in this, you know, I'm, I'm I'm trying these fifty different psychotropic drug combinations for for two and a half years, and then finally a doctor steps in and says, "You got to try something different. You got to try this thing called TMS therapy." So TMS stands for transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is picture like a helmet being put on your head and electromagnetic waves being shot into your brain, trying to Wake up the synapses, wake up the neurons in your brain to shoot through the synapses and and get firing so that, that, that they connect in ways that they weren't connecting before. and And so I do twenty three sessions twenty three days in a row, three hundred fifty dollars per session, not covered by insurance. So cool. when you talk about not having savings or or you know not making as much money, uh, you know when you're young in your career, even being able to save up a little bit later on than living in, A place like Florida where there's no income tax state income tax, uh, there that's where your money goes. And uh and so 23 sessions in, I I try to go to sleep that night, I can't. And then I remember I, I I'm up the whole the whole night of the 23rd, just hoping I could fall asleep. And then in the morning of the 24th, the sun is rising, and I'm I just remember I have this visual in my head. I'm sitting Imagine being on kind of clo- close to the front of the bed. I mentioned that I had that little uh, mica thing in front of me, so I couldn't get fully on the on the foot of the bed. But I'm towards the front edge of my bed, and I'm sitting on my hands because on the perch, on that mica piece, are my, my pills. And the only thing going through my mind on repeat is swallow that bottle, swallow that bottle, swallow that bottle, over and over and over again. And I can't get my brain to shut off from that thought. And when you have what that was, which is a suicidal ideation, and nothing bad has gone on in your life for the last two and a half years, other than you've been laying in this bed, you think you're an alien because you've never had a thought like that before. So your anxiety shoots up even higher, which makes the thoughts even stronger. And now you feel impervious to these thoughts that are playing on a record player, swallow that bottle, swallow that bottle. You feel like you're out of control. So when I say I was sitting on my hands, it was literally because I was afraid my body was just going to lunge towards the pills and throw them down my throat and swallow the whole thing. And, you know, I was fortunate enough, I call it 8% of my brain, that 8% of my brain, the rationality was still there. And I was able to, um, you know, call out to my parents (laughs) and say, you got to take me somewhere because I'm not in control of myself right now. And were you going to ask something there, Chris?
1: No, no, I'm just, I'm just listening to the story of like oh. this, like I, I prefaced this, co- this interview with, this is going to be the most important conversation we've ever had. This is the most important conversation we've ever had.
0: <laughs> so, so good, better and different, right? I didn't choose this to happen. So, so it, I'm just sharing what, what it was.
1: No, and- I, this is, this is look, this is exactly what I think people need to hear. Like this is the point of the, the same here movement, right? Is so people feel comfortable that they're not the only ones. You could be the chief revenue officer of the Florida Panthers and it doesn't matter. Like it can happen to anybody.
0: Yep, And especially when you hear kind of where it came from, because I'll go back to your question about being in the office. So so um, I, I voluntarily check myself into a psych ward, right? <laughs> Who loves hearing the term psych ward, especially when you think of movies like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and you see images when you think of the psych ward of people being in a straitjacket. I'm not going to bore everyone with the details of what it's like being in a psych ward other than to say – it's not pretty. You feel like you're in a jail. In the one I was in, you don't have a cell phone. You can only make calls on a pay phone. People call to you. You don't call out to them when I say make calls. Um, you ha- you're in a, a cot instead of a, a real bed. It's very sterile. Um, and my first appointment with the attending psychiatrist, I'm not going to give out the name of the hospital so I don't throw them under the bus, but um, a top hospital in the Northeast. And a top doctor with all the top doctor awards on her wall, and I'm looking at all these awards as she's reading my chart. And first thing she says to me is, "Eric, I'm looking at everything you've tried over the last two and a half years. You've tried everything there is. Your last resort is to do shock therapy." Oh, <laughs> and when I say that, like people think that I'm, um, I was reacting to the term shock therapy. I wasn't. I was reacting to the term last resort because. As a patient, doesn't matter what the hell your ailment is. The last thing you want to hear is this is your last chance or you're screwed, right?
1: Yes. That's the worst. That's the worst diagnosis there is.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and, and by the way, I'll go out and eat dirt right now. If, if it means that for 10 days in a row, if I have to eat scoops of dirt and, and the minerals in the dirt get me better, I'll eat manure, let, let alone dirt. Right. Um, but so, so I'm willing to try anything. I've been, I, I feel like I've been willing to try everything for these two and a half years that I've been trying these drugs. How is she telling me that this is my last resort? So without any, any better judgment or, or anyone else to intervene, and my parents didn't know any better, they'd never dealt with anything like this before. So I, I take her up on the offer. And I'm the only one in a 30-person psych ward during a five-week span. Granted, there are people who are coming in and out during that point, but no one else was to the level of getting shock therapy. So I believe I'm the most effed up of the effed up people in the world. And I get taken for 12 sessions of getting my brain shocked into seizures while under general anesthesia. Um, And again, skipping a lot of the gory details of what it's like getting electrodes put on your brain and having a doctor coming to you and saying, we'll see you in a couple hours. You know, like as he as he uh, injects you with propofol, the stuff that Michael Jackson died from. Um, and then you wake up not knowing who you are, where you are, what year it is, who the president is, anything like that, um, and taking an hour to even remember where your room was on, on, the, on the psych ward floor. But I left the hospital after those five weeks and those 12 treatments feeling no better than I had the, uh, the previous two and a half years. And so I retreat back to that childhood bed basically with the thought on my mind, not basically, but with the thought on my mind. My life is over. Like this this woman said this is my last resort. The only way I get better, because I didn't know any other means to get better, is to um is to hope that Merck or Pfizer, Pfizer's in the news right now, right? With the with the vaccine, that one of these pharma companies comes up with the magic pill that ends up being the right combination of soup in my soup brain that 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 pops me out of this, whereas the other, you know, 50 plus that I've tried haven't, right? And so what are the chances of that if these other 50 have? But I'm um, again, I'm a stubborn bastard and I'm going to hold on for dear life until until I find it. So, my parents are both former educators and um, they 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 go to these continuing education courses. My father was a principal and mother was a was a language teacher. And the courses are usually things like, you know, art history or world politics, you know, like and this course that they went to, their friend told them to go, is the, the name of the course was Integrative Breathing Practices. And and my parents are not, they don't even go to doctors, let alone integrative doctors. They don't <laughs> go out. Um, but they I remember they went. I didn't think much of it because I had never heard of the term before, and I'd never done a breathing practice myself before. And I remember my mom running into my room the, the the night when she came back, and she's like, Eric, I met this woman. Her name's Donna, she's incredible, she treats differently than all these other practitioners you've been to. She doesn't treat with drugs. You got You got to go talk to her. You got to go talk to her. OK, so three days later, I find myself, you know, in her office and sit on her couch. And now for two and a half years, the first question I got from every single doctor I sat with was, Eric, what are your symptoms or how have your symptoms changed? OK, based on your symptoms, here's what your diagnosis is. And based on your diagnosis, here's how we're going to treat you. She didn't ask me what my symptoms were. She just goes, Eric, tell me about your life. OK, that's <laughs> like the most broad question anyone can ask. So, oh, you know, middle of three boys, sports craze family. You know, I don't have a ton of memories right now. My brain is kind of foggy. So she kind of leads me to water. She's like, OK, Eric, you're the middle of three boys. Tell me about your older brother. And then I just start with my earliest memory, which is at eight years old. My brother broke when I was eight. He broke his femur bone in a sporting accident. And literally cracked the femur in half oh. and was put uh, in traction and then in a body cast for a year in homeschool. Okay, not a big deal. A lot of people, you know, get into accidents. Um he, he heals from that, you know, comes out of the body cast and a month later gets diagnosed with ALL children's form of leukemia. So I was mentioning that uh, you know, having a family history with cancer.
1: So chemotherapy, yep.
0: Yep. So so late 80s, you know, he's he's going through major rounds of chemo and radiation. Um, and back then it certainly wasn't as well targeted as it is now and wasn't as effective. So it was a gamble whether or not, you know, it was going to help him overcome the cancer, but miracle five years after it, he goes goes into remission. He's cancer free. A month after he gets his clean bill of health, he's in a Jeep Wrangler with his friends. His friend had just gotten his permit. Parents bought them a used Jeep, no top, no back, cheaper car, no seatbelts in the back. They're on their way to an Islander game, believe it or not, of all things. And uh car loses control, starts to wobble. My brother flies out of the back, lands on his head on Meadowbrook Parkway, uh, cracks his head open, loses partial vision, in his eyes in ICU for a month. Side note to that story, I usually don't tell this piece. We got a call saying, "Your my parents said, your son is in the hospital, um, you, uh, you should come see him. They wouldn't tell us what was wrong with him. When we got to the hospital, his two friends who were in the car who were in the, were in the waiting room sitting there fine. Wow. <laughs> you can imagine what my parents were thinking at the time. They weren't telling us what was going on. So heals from that, goes to college. Between junior and senior year, he's feeling a pain in his knee. Gets all this testing done. Uh, and they find out that his cancer from childhood has returned. So starts getting chemo again. And now this time... Second time around, they really want to knock the chemo out of his, the uh, the cancer out of his system, so they're giving him a much stronger chemo regimen, and um, it's breaking his good cells down as much as it's knocking the cancerous cells out. He ends up going down to, to after college. He, he while taking chemo, goes to Hofstra uh, for law school. Somehow, friggin' makes law review as he's getting his chemo treatments. I'm up at Cornell at this point, and I get a call from my dad. Hey, Todd's got 105 fever. We got to take him into the hospital. So they take him into the hospital and it was old LIJ back in the day, which I think is now Northwell or something like that. And um, I get a call from my father as I'm on my way down, I'm driving that they've determined that his body's gone into what's called septic shock Mm -hmm. uh, where your organs are attacking themselves. uh, And now he falls into a coma from that. So, for three months, he's got a tube breathing from my parents are basically living at the hospital at the Ronald McDonald house next to the hospital. I'm driving back and forth from college, four hour trip back each, back and forth each way. Not that that's an important part of the story, but I just want you to share, like, you know, what you're dealing with as you're watching your brother laying there. And I'm watching this tube breathing from the neurologist can't tell us if he's going to wake or if he's going to have any brain activity. Finally wakes after three months. Who the hell is in a coma for three months and wakes? It's usually like, you know, unfortunately, it's only a week and you have to make a tough decision or you watch a movie about someone who's in a coma for like seven years, right? And they have a big, right. Right. three months, random amount of time and he wakes and he's got his full cognitive faculties about him. Like the most cra- crazy miracle that's out there. And uh, fine, he's got his full cognitive faculties about him, but they start doing more testing on his body. His kidneys have failed from the rigor of the septic shock. Uh, he needs a kidney uh, 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 the dialysis and then needs a kidney transplant and we all get tested. My father's the closest match, donates a kidney to him. That finally that chapter in my life ends and I feel like, okay, my brother's finally healthy. I can move on with my life. I get the job at the NBA clean slate. And that first year working at the NBA, three of my close friends that I grew up with different circles, but from my hometown all pass away from heart conditions in the same year, low, low to mid twenties. And so I share all that you know, background, and it's going to dovetail into what you asked again about the office question because Donna, this woman that I'm talking to, her response to me is, Eric, like, what else has gone on in your childhood that's impacted your mental health? And I said, what do you mean what's gone on in my childhood? that's... And maybe it was me being facetious and not knowing anything about mental health, but I said, these things didn't happen to me. They happened to my brother. They happened to my friends. They didn't happen to me. Right. Right. She just kind of like puts her hand in her head, like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to tell this guy (laughs) some news. And she's like, Eric, did you not care about your brother? Did you not care about your friends? Like you had a front row seat for what they experienced that impacted you. And I just I took a step back for a second. I was like, "Okay, Don, Forget my story for a second. Okay, anyone else who if you're saying your mental health can be impacted by watching other people go through stuff, then fine. A child watching their parents get into fights, and then get a divorce. A parent watching their child lose a job, excuse me, a a child watching their parents lose a job uh, and and then lose their house and and you having to move. Um, A a child watching their friend get into a fight with another friend and their friendship breaking up. A friend watching another friend go through the breakup of of the first relationship and a first love that they have. A friend watching another friend being verbally abused in the schoolyard or bullied in the schoolyard. Hearing about a friend being sexually abused watching a friend go through the loss of their grandparent or even their parent. I was like, the list is a mile long of things that we watch people that we care about go through, let alone things that we ourselves go through. If you're telling me that all it takes is literally watching even other people go through stuff to impact our mental health, then who the hell's mental health in this world is not impacted. Right. And so she kind of just smiles with the sage smile. And she's like, Eric, she's like, I'm an integrative practitioner. I believe there's a mind body connection. Um, I believe everything you see impacts you. Uh, and, and, and she tells me about this book, which, which everyone should know about called the body keeps score by Bessel van der Kolk, And, you know, she tells me like you, your, your body changes based on the stimuli of what you're seeing around you. And so, yes, your mental health has been impacted. And yes, you're right that everyone's mental health does get impacted, but Eric, can we help you heal? Like we got to get you better first before you start, you know, saying what, what about everybody else? Which, was humbling to hear, right? Like that. I was thinking about everyone else at that time, but also I did want to heal myself. I'm, I'm going to be selfish there. Like I, I didn't want to stay in that place the rest of my life.
1: You can't help other people until you get better.
0: Well, yeah. Right. And, 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 and also I don't even know that I was capable. I knew I wanted to help people, but I, I, I was more curious about it than I was able to at that point. Right. And, and so she says to me, and I think sports, uh, executives, take kindly to this analogy because it relates resonates with them what she said was and she knew I was a sports executive so this is how she shared it to me said Eric pretend you were entertaining a client and you had a front row seat for a basketball game feet on the court and you've got these seven footers running up and down the court all game and they're sweating as they're running up and down the court and as they move their arms the sweat is hitting you in your nice suit that you're wearing to the game and then one of them dives for a loose ball in the middle of the game and dives across your lap, and their sweat gets all over your, your body. Um, you're going to go home that night after the game is over with the sweat written all over your suit, and you're going to put your suit either in the hamper or you know in a, in, in a bag to go towards the dry cleaners, and you're going to take a shower that night and probably shower the next morning, and you're going to put on a new suit the next day, and, you know, bing, bang, boom, you, you're, you're fresh to go the next day. So now I want you to picture that you still have that same courtside seat, But instead of the game being in front of you being a basketball game, it's a wrestling match. And there's two different wrestling matches going on at the same time, two different rings, but they're right in front of you. One ring is your brother, and every move he's making as a wrestler is he's wrestling against the game of life. And every move that your friends are making, and they're in the other ring, it's multiple of them wrestling at the same time. They're wrestling against the game of life. And what makes this wrestling match unique is that it's a muddy wrestling match. So every move they make to stay alive against that game of life, the mud is splattering and hitting you and hitting your body, hitting that same suit. So unlike it being the sweat from the players this time, it's the mud caking up and caking up every move that gets made on you. The difference in this game also versus the basketball game is you don't get up at the end of the game after three hours, take your clothes off, put them in the hamper and take a shower. You actually continue to sit there because you're never taught to get up and take a shower. You just sit there and keep watching and keep watching and keep watching. And she's like, that's what you've done for 35 years of your life. You've lived through all these things with your brother and your friends, and no one knew to tell you how to wash that mud that kept caking up on your body off of you. And the reason why you fell over and your systems just stopped the way that they did when you were 35 years old is because this stuff built up so much, it became so heavy, you were like caught. Think about like quicksand. Or, or think about mud, you know, drying like paper mache almost in a way, your body just stopped being able to move at that point with the amount of stuff that it built up inside you. And so the analogy made sense to me and I could picture it. And, and so my mind immediately went to, well, what do I do <laughs> to get better? And she says, well, I'm going to send you to this weekend breathing course. You're going you're gonna to learn how to breathe for three days. And, you know, as, as an athlete, you know, used to doing things like jumping in ice buckets or you know, uh, a running up and down stadium stairs, you don't think that doing breathing is really going to help you. But blind faith, I, I decide I'm going to take a recommendation. And I show up to this old karate studio that this nonprofit organization had rented out. And I show up and I'm the, I'm in a cut sleeve t-shirt and, and basketball shorts. And I'm the only man there, the only one under 40 at the time, the only one born in this country. So it's, it's me and eight Indian women and nine yoga mats. And... <laughs> I'm looking around the room like, where in the world did I just come to? But what I ended up loving the three days there. When I say loving, I wasn't feeling good, but loving what I was learning. Because I ask a lot of questions. And even though I'm a, I'm a marketing and, and business person, I love science. I get, I get interested in learning about science. And so what I, this isn't necessarily how they would describe it. But based on my questions, this is how I now describe it to people. If you and I were sitting in a room together on the first floor and a truck on the street lost control and just crashed through one of the walls in the room we were in, didn't hit us, but we watched that car, that truck come through the wall, we'd both make this sound. (gasps) And then we'd either run over the truck to see that the driver's okay, or we'd run the hell away from the truck. We would think that the driver's coming after us. Right. Right. And the key there is, though, when I made that sound we would stop breathing the way that we, quote, normally breathe because this stimulus just happened. The stim- it just happened in front of us, and it changed our breathing because we couldn't believe what we were just seeing. Now, extrapolate that out times everything that I just shared when I was saying what everyone else in life goes through. Sickness of parents, loss of loved ones, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, right? Take a, a real case scenario. Uh, a 40-year-old sports executive has kids that are getting bullied at school. Well, what do you think that four-year-old sports executive is doing every day in the office? Even though they're busying themselves with work, in the back of their mind, subconsciously, they're holding their breath. Oh my God, when I get home, am I going to see that my child's crying? Did my child self-harm because of what they're going through? Did they do worse than self-harm? Are they going to try to really hurt themselves? Right? Take another scenario, right? You got a 20-year-old executive in sports, 22-year-old, who's parent comes down with stage four cancer. You don't think that person who's busying themselves with work is also subconsciously thinking in the back of their mind, when am I going to get the call from my father or my mother that the other parent has gone to stage four or is being put into hospice, right? So you take the everyday life cycle things that happen, and obviously different things happen to different people, and you say, it makes sense that we stop breathing properly. And if we're not breathing properly okay what does that do to our body well we we develop this human standing up right and our brain which 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 is the control center of our body is then connected to the rest of the body through this thing that we have called a neck and if we're breathing the nerve that's in the neck is the carrier messenger to the rest of the body so if i'm breathing in a quote normal pattern then the way the air is passing across those nerves in my neck, it's telling my body, everything's okay. I can focus on whatever's in front of me. I can do my stuff. But if I'm breathing differently, I'm doing the, or I'm holding my breath as I'm typing, or I'm clenched and I'm thinking worst case scenario, or even if it's not anything major that's happening in my life, but I'm worried about a breakup with my girlfriend, or I'm worried about, you know, uh, uh, am I going to make enough money next month because of my, my paycheck for my commissions? We're not breathing properly, right? And so what does that do? It tightens that vagus nerve. And when you tighten that vagus nerve in the neck, the largest nerve in the body that's connected all the way down to your stomach, guess what? It's sending messages to the rest of your body. Something bad might happen. You got to brace yourself for that. Well, you do that enough over and over again from all the stresses and all the traumatic things we deal with in life. And again, different things for different people. We'll get into that. But what are you doing to your body? You're changing the biology of your entire system. Your nerves are getting different messages. The inflammation that gets caused in your body, your your different parts of your brain are underactive versus overactive, right? So this is a chronic thing that happens over time. And the analogy I often make to people is, if stress and trauma can build in our system, it's very similar to how plaque builds in our arteries. We, we we're told at a young age to jump rope for hard and work out, and that cleans the plaque out of the arteries. Well, we're never told to drain the stress and trauma that builds up in our system that changes biologically all these things that happen in our body. Well, so- yeah, I think
1: it's it's such a stigma, right? Because people, people forever. And I, it's, it's amazing to hear you talk about this because oddly enough, myself, when I was in high school, was getting knocked out regularly playing sports and it wasn't quite concussions. Mm-hmm. And the medical doctors wanted to put me on seizure pills like, oh, he must be having seizures. And my parents were like, he's not having seizures Went through all these different tests, MRIs, the whole nine yards. And eventually, like my parents were at their their last wit's end and said, we need to do something because, one, my sports career was coming to a quick end because we can't just keep getting knocked out in the field. And <laughs> ended, ended up with a chiropractor. I, I used to pass out in homeroom. I threw a backpack on my back. And because it pulled on my neck, it sent me down. Everyone thought I died. I was carried out in a stretcher in a homeroom. Crazy stuff. Eventually, we end up going to a – Doctor out in Long Island threw some recommendations of a chiropractic neurologist, and the MDs yep. were like, "What the hell is that? Like, oh, yep. big deal." Did all the tilt table tests. He he said, "Take off your clothes, like let me look at you." He goes, "Oh, you're 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 completely uneven," and you're like, "Wait, what? What do you mean?" He goes, "You're, you're 16. You've been your body's been knocked around. They figured out back from birth when they pulled on me because I was a 10 pound baby. Yep. Yep. They they screwed with my neck and my brain. So when I was getting hit, it was firing off." One side of my brain would go quicker than the other. And it'd be like, oh, time to go down. See you later. Good night. Yep. And rather than go on pills for the rest of my life, not knowing what the hell was going to happen, they fixed my body and they yep. readjusted me and they put me back together. I had to get the electrodes to like get my brain almost like a, like a muscle, right? To tell it like, no, right side needs to keep up with left side. I went from a straight A student to like a C plus student. I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't mm-hmm. retain anything. And everyone's like, what the hell is going on? Like, were you not studying? I'm like, no, I read something. I don't remember it. I can't, I can't focus. Like, I don't know Mm -hmm. what the hell is happening. So you talking about this is like bringing up so so many memories to me, but it's in sports and like in life, people are just like, oh, rub some dirt on it. You'll be fine. Like you can't talk about what the hell is really happening to your body other than, oh, you have a heart attack. You need a surgery. It's our brains, which control everything, like literally everything we do the rest of it only works if our brain is working.
0: Well, and, and our brain, it, it's kind of a catch-22 because our brain stops working often because of biological changes to other things in our body. And then our body stops working because of changes in our brain. So it's it's those two things. And I'm actually not surprised that you went to a functional, to a, to a chiropractic neurologist because a lot of them are trained in functional medicine, which helps better get to the source on things as opposed to saying, here's a pill for that and get better, which was, was my, it, was the,
1: it was the smartest human being I've ever find to talk about how they connect. The Every part of your body is connected. Yep. And it wasn't being done because of X, Y, Z. It was everything working together at once. And like yep. my wife went through something later on in life. She was having a ton of stress. She was working for Sam Adams. She was overworked. She was having what you call costochondritis. Again, doctor was like, oh, take this pill. And I was like, ah, that doesn't sound right. Like, Because we don't really know what the source is. Went to another chiropractic neurologist. I was like, why not? Let's give it a shot. Again, asked questions like you said about just your life, your, your history, your family. And he goes, yeah, you, uh, you have a gluten allergy. (laughs) She's like, wait, what? (laughs) So he's like, yeah, stop eating gluten. Let's see what happens. And immediately better. And it wasn't like take some medicine is like, no, let's figure out what's going on with your body and heal it. So your story is like, it's just it seemed and the MDs are eventually and like again. I'm not against doctors because there's for certain things they're amazing. And they when you're yep. sick, they fix you. But everything can't be about let's just take a pill, and there's like this one in a box answer. And your story exemplifies that beyond
0: belief. Because well, especially when you know the you know, Purdue Pharma, I'm not saying anything that's not already public knowledge, Oh, yeah, they <laughs> sued for for billions because it came out that they were giving they were paying doctors to basically sell their uh, pain medicines. So, so, you know, again, I'm not painting with a broad brush that every doctor does this, but there are plenty of doctors out there who are dealing drugs essentially. Right. And so, so, you know, look, uh, if I end up in a ditch after this uh, interview, you'll know who did it, but, but, and again, I, 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 you'll hear in a second, I'm not anti-drug. I understand its usages and we'll talk about that in a a little bit later but like you know to just throw a pill at everything and say that's a cure is is absolutely wrong what we're doing to people and so I do this this breathing practice for for three days I don't feel any better but I'm asked by the instructor if I want to be his accountability partner and you know he was the only other man in the class and so we we're on a text message thread and I'm doing the breathing practices for 45 minutes a day and he's like listen Just stay with it. By 40 days, I promise you, you're going to see positive results. 30 days into the practice, I wake up and it was like game seven of, you know, your favorite team's uh, uh, finals or World Series. I I remember looking at the TV and thinking, holy shit, I want to turn the TV on. That was an amazing feeling. And then the other thought was, I want to make scrambled eggs for breakfast, right? Like two things that we take for granted that are so ho-hum, normal parts of our daily lives, but to me, because I hadn't felt them for so long, felt like miracles. And so I, I, um, you know, since I'm feeling better cognitively at that point, not yet emotionally, but at least I'm able to think more clearly, I decide this is now the the middle of 2017. I'm going to write my story and share it on, of all things, LinkedIn. Why LinkedIn? No strategic reason other than I didn't have Instagram. I didn't have Twitter. And uh, I figured by putting it out there on LinkedIn, where I have the most connections, which wasn't a ton back then, like 1500 connections or something like that in sports. Right. Um, But I haven't been front and center. I I, have disappeared off the face of the earth to most of these people. One, it'll let people know that I'm back. If I want to get back into sports, it lets people know that I'm back Two, this is where like the altruistic piece was. Can I help people? Right. Can I can I put my story out there in a way that'll help people? And so since it was before the DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Love era, it was a couple months before that, I didn't have a template to know how to share. It. So I didn't know, do you do a video, which I didn't even know how to do, like do you, <laughs> you, you, you write this out. So I write it out on a Word document and it takes 35 minutes to read it because I didn't want the story to be, I had PTSD, which was ultimately what my quote diagnosis is. We'll talk about why I hate diagnoses in a second, but my diagnosis was PTSD and. Um, I wasn't going to say, I have PTSD. If you have these five of these 20 symptoms for two weeks or more, you might have PTSD also. Like, that was just going to be boring. So I shared my story, funny enough, in a lot greater detail than what I just shared with you right now. And um, I put my telephone number on the top. And my thought was, look, 1,500 people, you know, certain number of people look at it, certain number of people read it, then a smaller number of people actually digest it. I'll get, you know, a good 10, 20 people who might reach out asking for help. And I, I put it up there and my friends who are in digital marketing, they're like, dude, no one's reading this thing. We love you, but this is too long. Well, three days go by, it's read over 150,000 times and I have over 400 calls coming in. I'm erasing my voicemail box so that my, my voicemail box can keep taking more in. And I at f- 400 calls from as far as China. And I'm tracking them in this Excel spreadsheet, and what I, what I find out is that the, 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 the messages that people are leaving for me and in the conversations that I'm having, no one is sharing a disorder label. No one's saying, Eric, I have PTSD also, so I relate, or Eric, I have bipolar. It's different than PTSD in this way. Everyone instead was sharing a life experience story. So, Eric, I lost a child to Sid, sudden infant death syndrome, five years ago, and I've just never been the same. All the way to a woman who was married happily, two beautiful kids, white picket fence, financial security, loves her husband. She says, when I was 22, Eric, I broke up with my boyfriend of four years in college. And even though I love my husband so much right now and I know he's my soulmate, I had a pit in my stomach from that day of making that decision of breaking up with that college boyfriend because we had talked about a future together. And that pit in my stomach has never gone away. And so... My, what I realized from that, you know, you talk about like the outliers and the 10,000 hour things and hearing the same things over and over again. It certainly wasn't 10,000 hours of it, but I was hearing enough of these stories coming to me where my takeaway was the common thread that ties a human condition together is not disorder. It's challenge stories that we all go through. It's over obsessing and thinking about decisions that we've made and things that have happened in our life and when those stressful and traumatic things build up inside of us they cause symptoms right where no one's mental health is this perfect uh uh untouched you know uh, ceramic bowl like we all have cracks in it and and if that's what brings us together why are these 400 people calling me a complete stranger who is not have to be you know Compliant with HIPAA regulations of keeping their information private. Why are they? Why are they calling a doctor? I was like, that doesn't sound like a stigma thing that people are always talking about. That sounds like a lack of education in terms of people not understanding what the hell it is mental health even is because they're trying to figure out an answer for themselves. And so I go to the largest nonprofit websites in our country, and um, you know I-, I won't mention them, but people know who they are. And I and I'm looking. I'm like, as a marketer what is being shared here probably with the best of intentions to help people understand what this topic is about but even in good intentions was actually telling the wrong story and making people less understand what mental health is about right and confusing people more and and i noticed three things that were consistent across all these websites that by the way still to this day 3 years later are still perpetuated on all these websites so the first is they all start with the stat one in five people are mentally ill. That's that's which that's
1: that statistic just seems like a generic throw it up well, there.
0: That's problem number one, right? Like, I always facetiously, like, I'll, I'll give digs towards those those stats and I'll be like, oh, the, the number hasn't gone down to 19.3 yet or hasn't gone up to like 20.7, right? Like, <laughs> if you're in the business of seeing change happen, you're not going to continuously say one in five, 20% of people, right? But the bigger thing to me about one in five was, What the hell are we telling the other 80% of people that aren't in that category? We're telling them that they're healthy, fine, normal. Okay, there's nothing to see here. Don't worry about mental health because you don't have this thing called mental illness. So true. Imagine we did that with physical health. Hey, Chris. Hey, Rob, sit on the couch, eat nachos, watch TV, live a sedentary lifestyle. By the way, if you develop this thing called heart disease or diabetes at some point in your life, we got a pill for that. We'll give it to you, right? Like- we would, we would, our death rates would be through the roof if we did that, right? Now, they already are through the roof, but imagine how much worse it would be. So you've got, you've got the one in five, four in five thing that that was the first issue. The second issue was, and we were talking about this when we were talking about the campaign name of same here, is all their campaigns, right? Their 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 Nike equivalents of just do it. They were all calls to action, which were an action word followed by the term stigma. So stop the stigma, stop the stigma, erase the stigma, break the stigma. That sounds like a rallying cry and like it's great until you break down what the term stigma means and who who that message is being directed towards. The term stigma means that there's a group of people forming opinions and judgments and making unfair decisions about another group of people. Well, if your website is already saying we are on behalf of and backing the one in five people are dealing with mental illness when you're rah-rah out there saying stop the stigma stop the stigma guess who you're saying that to you're saying that to the other 80 percent of society you're basically telling them you're the reason why these people are being put in this corner this way you need to stop doing that and while that might be what we need those people to stop doing that find me a social change campaign that has slapped people on the wrist and told them hey I'm going to tell you to not do this anymore. And that's going to make them stop doing that. That doesn't happen. That's not life. It doesn't work though. You can't get people to wear masks. (laughs) I could go down a whole rabbit hole with politics on both sides where when you point fingers and say, you're wrong, no, you're wrong. You never get anywhere. Right. But when you say you're wrong and you're doing this wrong, that doesn't get people to combine with you and, and, and see their need for change. You need to show your similarities. You need to come together based on your similarities. Okay. So the third thing was all the way that celebrity stories were being shared. And at the time, this was before social media, you know, it was uh, uh, a nonprofit would say, great news, Britney Spears, she's part of the one in five group also. And Lindsay Lohan, she's part of the one in five group also. You know, Britney Spears has depression. Lindsay Lohan has anxiety. Meanwhile, you would go to the uh, article that these that websites would link to, and it'd be an Us Weekly article or People Magazine article. And it was like... Britney Spears has depression. She shaves her head. Lindsay Lohan has anxiety. She dresses like a hot mess. You know, Charlie Sheen has addiction. He looks like a skeleton when he leaves the, leaves the house. So they were telling the far end of the spectrum stories that the, the, the paparazzi were, were were catching. So now you combine those three things that are on this website when people come to find out about mental health. Only one in five people are affected. Let's stop stigmatizing them, that one in five group, and the people in the one-in-five group, if you've never seen it yourself, if you want to see what it looks like, here's some examples from celebrities, they shave their heads, they dress all like a mess, they run off basketball courts and panic attacks, this is what it looks like, right? It's well, terrible. It's just a terrible stigma. It's a terrible, right? It, 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 well, it's, not a, it's terrible stigma, but it's also terrible education, right? Like, that's not what mental health is. That's what far end of the spectrum mental illness potentially could be in certain cases, but those are being used as the examples right and so because of that you wonder why if you do an event that's voluntary for people to show up related to mental health and you even call it mental health event not mental illness you know you're in sports this is a this is a shout out to all the sports executives let's not call our mental health awareness nights mental health awareness <laughs> because you're not going to draw people you're going to draw the people who are already diagnosed with something or the future psychologists and psychiatrists of America you're not going to draw the average fan who should have interest in being mentally healthy. The way that when you pick up a, a, a physical health magazine, like men's health or women's health, and you see six pack abs or greater sex in 15 days, it's always positive things, things that you strive for with mental health. It's always like, shit, I don't want to be that. Right. Right. So, so that was the impetus for forming. This kind of comes full circle in, in a bunch of your questions. That was the impetus for forming the umbrella name of the organization we're all a little crazy crazy in quotes the a upside down in the logo it was meant to poke fun at the word crazy because i don't believe that there is a crazy because i think we all are somewhere on that continuum all of us face challenges in life that impact our mental health and that makes us who we are that gives us the little quirks we have that 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 makes chris you know wonder when he looks in the mirror is my back aligned the way that it used to is it not right like These are the little things that make us who we are because we've been through things in the past or even with genetics like little ticks and stuff that we have. That's part of our being. That's part of our person. And there's nothing to be ashamed about with that. And so from that umbrella name, by the way, the the word crazy, I understand, is not necessarily the most welcome word in the mental health space. But I needed a word that spoke to mental health in a way that people use in everyday terminology. Chris, this podcast is crazy good your partner rob is crazy talented right like that's the way that we use that word. that that speaks to people so if i was gonna shake the trees on the four and five and get them to better understand what mental health is and was i needed to use a word that was going to be a little bit you know <laughs> disruptive in the space and make people turn heads
1: hey look so your marketing background marketing background's paying off dividends <laughs>
0: Well, maybe it's marketing, maybe it's just like psychology of the mind and and, and figuring out like what resonates with people. But, you know, I'm I'm, I'm only, everything that I've done here is not from a, at least to this point that I'm telling the story, nothing to do with professionals getting involved, just have to do with lived experiences. And so-
1: One in five thing, I guess, before we go on, the one in five is just such bullshit because- it's a hundred percent. There's no one who doesn't, there's no one who goes through life yep. and has a hundred percent never had a mental health check where they're like someone stressed out or they're have a worrisome. Like it's impossible. That's literally living in a, a euphoria that doesn't exist. So That's why the hashtag
0: that we always use is five and five. It is.
1: It's right. Like you, if you, if you magically found a way to escape having any mental health issues in terms of your whole entire life, you're, you're just not human. Right. And, like that's just such a misnomer. And a stig- like, to your point, a stigma that set- sets it up to make people think like, oh, that's not me. It's all of us. Like we're we're all a little
0: crazy. So, I'm going to give you a skeptic's view of why the one in five remains, right? Two things. One is if you are diagnosed mentally ill, and by the way, just so everyone's clear that I'm not being derogatory here, I would be considered diagnosed mentally ill because of my PTSD. People who hear five and five and hear that everyone goes through something and live in a victim mentality, their mind is, what do you mean five and five? No one goes through the challenges that I go through. I've been through more than anyone else. I have real mental illness, right? So I'm only saying that just so you know like what some of the, the pushback that you get when you use the five and five, that's number one. But number two is from a business perspective, I want, you could, you, could, you could make your decisions on what industries you think this helps. When you have a thick line, between sick and healthy, twenty percent of people are sick, eighty percent of people are healthy. Sick people are told to do something when they're sick. Right, that helps move product of something. Right, so of course they don't of course. like there to be this gray area. People would say to me, Eric, but if you if you get five and five, that means more and more people would be open to to doing things for their mental health. Now, when you have a when you when you blur the line, people don't quickly run to the immediate quick fix. They start to look around and they say, "What else is out there that I can start to heal with?" And and so, uh, you know, I've seen the ugly nature of, you know, uh, let's call it um, social media suppression on my end because we have athletes and celebrities who back our message and help us get it out there. That there's a big interest in not letting us get our message out there. Um, and and I've seen because we have business accounts and you could see the numbers of people not likes and stuff like that. I'm talking about the distribution of certain posts versus other posts. They totally kill our distribution because they don't like the messages out there. It's fascinating. I mean, speaking of speaking of athletes, so yeah.
1: Dak Prescott came out this year and opened up probably at one of the highest level of athletes to ever do. I mean, quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, right? Like that's oh. a very high profile position, one of the most famous in all of sports. And immediately a media member uh, decided to disparage that person and say, essentially, nope, that can't be true. Like, it looks bad. It makes you look weak. You need to be the CEO. I, I mean, I can't, I, I've, I haven't lived through what you lived through. I can't imagine telling anybody in any situation, no matter what position, to your point, Chief revenue Officer, CEO, that it's not okay to have mental health issues. And the fact that, There's still this again, this line of divide of like, nope, everybody, it's either 80-20. It's like that goes back to that, right? The one and five. It's impossible for the Dallas Cowboys quarterback to have issues and still be a good quarterback, is so archaic. And our industry in general kind of feels a little like, nope, this is what it is. You work 45 hours a day, you make no money, suck it up. We all do it. We don't care what you deal with. It's either you either you can or you can't, and the strongest will survive.
0: Yeah. So it's just
1: so it's awful.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the the DAC thing is interesting. You know, the reporter you're talking about, I don't mind calling his name out. Skip, is, Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless, right? And so people were saying, Eric, give him the benefit of the doubt. All he does is say things that are sensational to get headlines and blah, blah, blah. That's so the problem. That's, that. the,
1: that's the problem.
0: Oh, but, but okay, let's even give him that as, as, as is out, right? Which is ridiculous in and of itself. One is that was not the case because... The next day, Skip Bayless was given an opportunity to apologize for it. And instead, he doubled down on that. Doubled down. Double down. He said, and he justified it in a clinical sense, because he, he thinks he's a psychologist. And he said, I was talking about people who have real depression. I wasn't talking about pandemic depression. I was talking about clinical depression. Okay. <laughs> so now Skip Bayless is basically saying what the one in five has said for so long, you either are born with this thing called depression that you have genetically or sorry, Dak Prescott, the loss of your brother to suicide, the recent loss of your mother at a young age, and you dealing with isolation during the pandemic, that's not worthy of actually being depressed.
1: No, that's fake. That's all fake depression.
0: That's fake depression, right? So so he doubled down on that. Then Fox Sports, who pretended that they had the back of Dak Prescott and the masses after there was a big uh, backlash. A week after Skip says this announces and leaks out that he's going to be getting a long-term contract extension, right? So how much does media actually care about getting this right? They don't, right? Um, They don't give a shit as long as the ratings are high. And, and, And I'm not saying, again, I'm painting with a broad brush. There are media outlets out there. USA Today, USA Today Sports has been incredible to us. They've... In that particular situation, Chris, one of the athletes that we work with that's on our alliance, and that's one thing I didn't share, after starting, we're all a little crazy. I then started reaching out to athletes and people with platforms and saying, can we create this narrative of saying here, an American sign language sign that we make, thumb at your chest, pinky pointed out at the other person, like it's almost like a hang loose sign, but perpendicular. Hey, Chris, I face challenges in my life. You face challenges in your life. Here's what my challenges were, just like what you told me with uh, with the realignment with, with your back and your your whole skull and everything. You, I face challenges, you face challenges. Hey, we both face challenges that have impacted our mental health. Uh, why is there anything wrong with that? Right. And if you get athletes willing to share those stories, now you're normalizing that for everyone else. You get people with platforms outside of athletes. You get CEOs, doctors, practitioners, all these people that we now work with sharing those stories. You start to normalize a conversation, and same here is a lot different than stop the stigma, right? right. Enough right. people to say same here. We're all talking about what we all have as that—that's the same, as opposed to talking about I'm affected, you're not. You need to stop stigmatizing me, right? And so, just to, to finish up that point on the um on the Hayden Hurst Dak Prescott thing is, and and the media that does help us out, um Hayden was hot Mike during his game against Dallas. And if anyone remembers that game, uh, Atlanta was up by a lot. Uh, Quinn was still the coach at the time. And then they fell apart in in Cowboy Stadium. And Dak came back and had an amazing game, like over 400-plus yards, and uh, and won the game at last second. And Hayden ran over to Dak even after losing and goes, hey, man, really respect what you did in talking out. My mom, who Kathy, Kathy Hurst, who is a real good friend of mine now, um, we've got a, a family organization together. I, I've shared my own story of, of a suicide attempt. I'd love to collaborate down the road. And that hot mic conversation went viral because it was two advocates genuinely talking about stuff that they had been through. It was not a microphone being put in front of their face on a set that Gillette was sponsoring it and they were saying, hey, we're going to have a locker room talk about stuff that we've been through because we're getting paid millions of dollars to do this. No, it was two guys sharing shit that they've been through together, right? And so USA Today allowed us, after that interaction, to come on. And Hayden and I were interviewed by, I think Mackenzie Cox was the name of the reporter. And we were able to share why that story went so viral um, because of how genuine and organic it was and because of how relatable it was. And that's... That's the goal of what we're doing with Same Here. Yes, we have programming. We do it in K through 12 and colleges and sports teams and leagues and servicemen and women and first responders and corporate offices. And it's amazing to go out and do all these programs and boots on the ground. But while we're doing the programming, we're also from a you know messaging perspective. Granted, we don't have the money that a big pharma has to be able to spend on millions of dollars to get the message out there. So we have to do it in a grassroots way. Is there's no question in my mind because I've seen it in small pockets that all we need to do is continue to grow the partners that we work with. That when you get the concept of same here out there, there is no need to talk about stopping stigma. There is no need to share why is why are you why are you talking this way versus that way. Once you get people opening up, it, the the light switch goes off in their head because we have these things in our brains called motor neur- or, or uh, <laughs> sorry. Mirror neurons, and we've got uh, empathy. And when we hear about what other people have been through, we, like you said, when I, when I was sharing my story, Chris, it reminded you of your story. That's what happens when we share stories and we start to realize we all have been through stuff. That's what normalization takes, is story sharing. It doesn't take much more than that. You know, it takes some clever campaigns with the story sharing and it takes people with platforms to story share, but it does not take, we can't have an overemphasis on disorder names. We can't have an overemphasis on one in fives. So I'll say something that's very piercing in this space. But people say to me, Eric, isn't it great that when an when a, when a athlete speaks up, no matter what they talk about? And I say, no. If an athlete talks up and says, I have bipolar or I have anxiety, and and, and because of my bipolar, because of my anxiety, I went on this rampage or I had to run off the basketball court. And that's all you know? That's relatable to people who have anxiety? and have had those symptoms, it's not relatable to other people. Whereas when you share instead, here's what I went through in my life, here's my challenges that I've been through, here's what happened with my family and how my family fell apart, that's relatable. That led to maybe the diagnosis that you have, or in some cases, maybe you've never been diagnosed, but your mental health has been impacted because of those life experiences you've been to. Those are the stories we need people to share, not the disorder labels exclusively. So right now, there's obviously
1: uh, a big wave through our industry that's affecting everybody, and not just sports, but the whole entire world. But our industry has been ravaged from layoffs, loss of revenue, loss of seasons, no jobs available for incoming people graduating. What can – like so all of us are dealing with some type of stress beyond – what can people do? How should they go about it? Who should they be talking to? Like what avenues can people visit or, or, or look to, to have conversations with like-minded individuals such as yourself? Like what else, what can people be doing right now to feel like they're not alone and it's going to be okay, but we're going to need some help and we need to talk about it because it's been, it's been, everyone has dealt with something. There's nobody, there's anyone at this point right now in our industry who hasn't, Mm -hmm. Um, And it's been exasperated because like, you know, people in sports don't make a lot of money at a lot until they get years later in their career. When you take any sort of revenue away from somebody, it compounds and then you're by yourself and you're not with your family and you might lose Thanksgiving and we might lose Christmas or Hanukkah. What can people do to find that outlet to make themselves feel okay and realize they're not alone?
0: So a couple of things. One is you look for communities that are doing things like that. this. I'm, I know that there's not a lot out there, but one I mentioned to you earlier before the call, there's a community within the sports industry called uh, Same Here Solutions. So it's off of Bob Hammer's site, Sports Business Solutions. And it's, you know, it, it's everyone from a CFO like Scott Levine at the, at the Panthers to account executives sharing their own stories of challenges that they've been through. And th- these are, some incredibly vulnerable shares. So they're awesome. That's one. With that comes webinars and, and 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 it's all free and it's stuff we're just doing because we want the industry to, to feel better. Um, but outside of just resources in terms of kind of sharing your stuff or seeing that other people are going through things, we have a, a whole section on our website and you can put it up when you post this. Uh, it's called STAR Exercises. So STAR with two R's stands for stress And trauma, the two things that build up inside of us, active is the middle word, meaning we have to actually do activities, releasing and rewiring, right? So when I talk to sports executives, they get it when I use this analogy. We're so often told about the arena bowl or the stadium bowl and that we want to plug the holes in the bottom of the bowl so the water that we're filling in with new fans or new sponsors continues to build and we fill the whole bowl. With stress and trauma, I want you to think about the exact opposite visual. You've got that bowl, and the bowl is continuing to fill up with water, which is that stress and trauma that continues to happen in our life. But instead of wanting to plug the holes, we want to drill more holes and open more holes up so the water drains out of the bottom and the water level never gets too high. So that's what stress and trauma active release and rewiring is, is it's gym for the brain or gym for our central system. And it it makes sense, right? If we have a gym for our body and we go into that gym, we take it for granted right now that in 2020, there's a gym on every corner and you have the choice of, you know, elliptical, treadmill, uh, free weights, universal boxing, kickboxing, swimming, right? The, The list is a mile long of things you can do in a gym nowadays. And you can't compete as a gym unless you have all those things. If you're old enough to remember, there used to be gyms where you only had the ability to get on a treadmill. That's all they had. Um, But when we think about mental health, what do people go to? They go to things like Headspace or Calm, and it either, quote, works for them or it doesn't, and then they stop it if it doesn't work for them. That's the equivalent of saying for weight loss and staying in good physical shape, I'm going to try the treadmill, and if that doesn't work and I don't see the weight loss happen, I'm done. This whole working out thing doesn't work for me. That's not the case. You've got all these other things that you could do to impact your metabolism, to start to shed weight, to start to feel better about yourself. And you try those different things out. That's why we created these star exercises. When I say we created them, these are exercises that exist that experts have already created on their own and they're and they're experts that we work with. Things like EFT tapping or, you know, havening or Qigong meditation or yin yoga or uh, TRE, trauma release exercises, right? These are all things that that are available on our website for free. You can go through and look at all of them. You know, there's ways to get them in in playing card format if you want to have like a hard copy of them that you can carry around with them, but, but certainly available through mobile web on the phone. And, and as we're, we're developing more, app version will come out soon. But the whole idea behind it is, I should have a routine that I can do that makes me feel like I'm in control. And that's the biggest difference between what's going on with mental health versus physical health. When we sit on that couch and we eat those nachos and we eat those french fries and we watch TV, we can feel ourselves start to put weight on, we can feel ourselves becoming lethargic, but we know we're in control. Like if we wanna start eating better, we can. It's hard, don't get me wrong. Some of us are addicts to food, some of it is our comfort way of dealing with things. So I, I get that. But we know if we eat healthier and we work out, we are going to get in better shape. Our society doesn't understand yet that we have control of our mental health as well. We've got these exercises that we can do. Because the reason we don't understand is because we don't know all these exercises that are out there. They're not we're not well versed in them. And we we think that the way to get better is to hope and pray after taking a pill that it's going to kick in and just make us feel better. So that's why we have so many bad outcomes with mental health. Think about the hope that is not there when you are laying down waiting around for sleep like I was and for a magic pill to kick in. It's not going to happen when you're waiting there. Your brain chemistry doesn't all of a sudden after trying 15 different pills say, well, wow, the, the, the 16th pill ends up working for me. It's not how it is. You know, and 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 look, I know I'm not a doctor, but I, I talk with enough of them. I've been through enough lived experience situations of myself. And the last three years of people calling me on a daily basis to share their story with me, you pick up on enough trends. This is what I was going to get back to with, with medication. I think medication can be, if it works for you, a symptom management tool. So I don't hate on medication. In fact, I'm still on a little bit of Lexapro myself right now. It gives you a little bit of a base to kind of damper some of the stuff that you're feeling that's negative, that holds you back. But that stuff that helps damper it, it should be what springboards you to do the active release and rewiring, the STAR exercises. So that you actually get to the source of what's built up inside of you, this stress and trauma, and you can start to feel better. So, so that could happen in an office setting where a manager says, we're gonna do our STAR exercise for 15 minutes every morning. 15 minutes every afternoon. It could happen at your house while you're home. I spoke with a guy named Brett Zelaski, who, who's done a lot of work obviously in, in sports. A lot of people know him from the NBA League Office back in the day. He was with MLS for a while. He's doing these classes for kids right now who you know are displaced because of COVID. And I, you know, I met with them for an hour today talking about similar things that we're talking about right now. People need hope. They need to not be spinning in their own head thinking, oh my God, I'm never gonna get a job, things are never gonna get better. And I don't have control over how I'm feeling. Think about what a frigging dead end that sounds like. Neither of those things are true. You're going to get a job. It might not be in the exact position that you want, but take it from someone who went from sports to mental health. You never know what you're going to end up being passionate about. And then the other thing is you do have hope to work on your own stuff. You're not waiting for something to just magically get better. That's something that you actually can do and work into a routine into your every day that can help you get better. And there's no reason to wait for something else.
1: Yeah. Cause to that, to your point about getting a job and, and being patient, it's people paint a picture their whole lives. They're told they're going to go to school. They're going to graduate. They're going to have a job. Right. Mm-hmm. And right now that's far from the truth in a lot of cases. And it's, people are just like you mentioned, putting things into their own mind of this negativity, 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 like what happened, what went wrong. And I, I mean, I talk to a lot of young folks and my message is consistently trying to be like, look, it may not be this exact straight rocket ship to the top that you envisioned for your life and your career. There is This will be one of many bumps along the way. There is no such thing as like, no one deals, deals with adversity, kind of what we talked about. You're going to have mental... Health issues that you're going to have to come up with, whether it's moving your family or yeah. losing a job or a team being sold, except like our industry is filled with so many different things that could throw you a curveball that just you're not prepared for. Yeah. And how you deal with those and how you approach them is going to determine how it come out on the other end of it. But with with that said, what you're doing and, and the same here movement, it's okay to raise your hand and admit like you're struggling or you need help or you need to talk to somebody. Because otherwise, you will lay in that bed and you'll just play it over in your head of like what went wrong, how could I have done differently,
0: instead of trying to move forward. So lay in the bed, or just because I want, I want to be, I want to be fair to everyone, right? Like for some of us, it's laying in bed, but for others of us, it's being at our desk where our head is nodding off and nodding off and nodding off, and that's happening for three months straight. And we're not understanding why. For other, for others of us, it's we have presentations. And for whatever reason, we can't fear, feel clear-brained when we go into those presentations and present, right? It manifests itself in so many different ways. For some people, for whatever reason, the mental manifests way more in physical, right? You see people walking down the street and like one side, kind of not so different than what happened to you, is is tilted more one way or the other. Or you see them and it looks like they're almost flexing their traps on their back because their neck is so tight, right? So. It's going to come out in different ways. But I'll also say the sad thing that 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 our our, our medical industry hasn't caught up in, except for doctors like, and this is, we have a whole integrative, this is one of the questions you have, psychiatry, psychology, psychotherapy uh, department on our website, because we want people to be able to find doctors like what you found. We don't want people only going to the pill pusher doctor. Um, and so... You know, it, it's going to manifest itself in, to you in different ways. But what these integrative and functional doctors realize is the mental starts to become physical as well. And all these things, from a mental health standpoint, they build into things like your immune system starts to get compromised from it, your blood pressure starts to change, right? And that now starts to create more susceptibility towards things like cancer, diabetes, heart disease, all the things that we see people getting u- ultra sick from. There's this model, you know, back in the day of physical is physical and it's in this bucket and mental is mental. And it's in this bucket, it's not the reality. They both intertwine and work with each other.
1: I completely agree. Because the, the stress and the mental health leads to so many other issues. Like you can tell in your body when your mind isn't going right and you're stressing yourself out, that you eat differently, you kind yep. of stress eat right you you might not want to go for that run cuz you're lethargic and you don't have that energy and it compounds and it just builds and builds and builds in our industry in general just doesn't lead yourself to a healthy lifestyle we worked crazy hours we're up all nights we work 20 hour days we're back at the, the ballpark we're back at the stadium and yep. you never take that moment for yourself to just like breathe
0: to all going going all the back right just just to breathe normal and, and, and- incrementally over time even if you're changing the slightest bit year after year, it takes a number of years to look back and be like, wow, I'm a different person than I was 10 years ago. So we don't look at ourselves and say, why am I not caring about going and playing pickup basketball anymore? Why am I not caring about going as many movies as my friends did before? And here's what we chalk it up to. I'm getting a little bit older. Life's getting a little bit more challenging. Bullshit. (laughs) When you cared about stuff when you were younger, And you had that full vim and vigor of being excited about things come hell or high water. You found a way to do them. Right. It's true. This idea of, well, we're, we're older now, so it makes sense that our body's slowing down. I don't buy it. I think it's, we're not as excited as we used to. The incremental changes have kind of beaten up on us. And instead of us working towards getting that health back, and that vibrancy and wanting to do things and wanting to go out and see friends and wanting to be out and be social, we say, oh, this is life now." Sitting on a couch and hanging out with my family, this is life. Nothing against family time; I'm all about family time. But it, you should question yourself when all these things that you used to be part of your passions and interests and hobbies they've gone away. That's that's a sign. That means something.
1: Yeah, I was gonna ask you like So th- th- you just actually answered my question: was what can people look for? that could be a sign of like, okay, this, you need to make some changes right now. And, and that's one of them, huh? So like, if you all of a sudden feel apathetic towards things you used to be passionate about, whether it be golfing or playing pickup basketball or going for a run, that's something that you can pick up on. And what else, what other, what other, I guess,
0: what other warning signs are there? Yeah, to me, the, the most telltale sign, because it happens regardless of whether you had hobbies before or not, Remember I was describing when I was in Florida and I was looking at the closet and it felt like a bomb went off. If you start to notice when you wake up in the morning that your morning routine is not something that just comes to you on autopilot and you have to think about the self-care stuff that you're supposed to be doing. Wait a second, I'm supposed to brush my teeth now. I didn't do that yet. Or holy shit, I'm about to leave the door and I haven't taken a shower. Or wait, I'm supposed to take a shower before I put my clothes on. Why am I putting my clothes on now? That's a very telltale sign, and I hear that from so many people because, like, what do we normally do when we're feeling well, right? Like, we've got a phone in one hand, and we're answering emails as we're brushing our teeth, as we're running the water in the shower. We're on autopilot. What well, that's showing us, I'm not saying that's healthy, but it's showing functionally our system is working. We're able right. to multitask and do a lot of things at once. In, in in a way, like our system is wired in such that it can handle the routines that it's done before. When that stuff starts to go away, again, you know, pushing yourself off the bed because it feels like you're a ton of bricks going into the office and thinking, eh, it feels like I drank a lot last night, even though I didn't drink. Why do I feel this hungover feeling? These are all the signs. These are me- people say, oh, depression is mental health. No, being lethargic, being foggy brained, you know uh 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 dragging yourself feeling like you're carrying a heavy bag those things are mental health
1: so you're two and a half you're two and a half years into the the same hair movement
0: just over two and a half years now now that um i guess we're we're entering kind of this last phase of uh of 2020
1: so what's on the horizon what's 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 cooking what's next for you guys like what's the i know what your main mission is but what are you guys going to think to take this to the next level
0: Yeah, you know, so we've got a bunch of partnerships in sports, which is great. So, for anyone listening, you know, not group sales nights, though that's a piece of it, theme nights in arena. I believe sports is an incredible vehicle to help educate the masses. If you look at where cancer went to where it is now, where we have stadiums full of people holding up a sign that says, I stand up for, and a name written there, that's where mental health should be in a couple of years if we do this correctly. So, more partnerships with teams we're doing a lot with you know without revealing too much uh United States military uh NYPD um we're doing a lot more with colleges and universities we built out a whole um same here schools K through 12 program and just launched a suicide prevention video with Hayden Hurst um, that we hope to partner with the NFLPA shortly on um having a lot of conversations with a lot of the sports leagues about bringing mental health programming for schools in uh through their relationships but through our content um we're in the midst of a of a documentary that that we're filming um you know kind of i, I consider it from this is from the producer's mouth this is not my mouth so please don't think that i'm like touting it more than it is but he thinks it it'll be the goal is for i should say for it to be the super size me of mental health meaning supersize me flip the idea of what fast food is on its head. Oh, it's fast. It's convenient. It's tastes good. Oh, holy shit. Look at what it's doing to us
1: <laughs> Yeah,
0: here is to point out a lot of things that we talked about on this podcast, what mental health actually is and how we're treating it so poorly uh, and how we're looking at it backwards and how we can move it forwards. Right. You don't want to leave on a, on a negative note. Um, and then, and then co- strategic corporate partnerships. So um, there's a, there's a national gym we should be announcing a deal with soon to get star exercises into their gyms in addition to their weight training and, and universal. Um, there's an app that we launched uh, that connects teachers and students uh, to be able to communicate with one another about feelings um, that, that makes it private so that other students don't see it, but it allows teachers to follow up with even the quote, good kids, how are you feeling, right? Everyone should be checked up on. It's not, it's not just, and it's not a diagnostic tool. It's a, it's a, um, it's a feelings meter, right? It's, it's, it's a temperature check of our feelings and emotions. So a lot of, a lot of, you know, um, uh, f- fires or a lot, I should say a lot of balls up in the air. Um, and, and that's, that was by design. I, I, I formed this thing thinking all the way to Prince Harry, biggest celebrity in the UK shared his story in a genuine way, the way that I'd like advocates to share. And yet the UK is still at a 30 year high in suicides. So what that said to me was the, you know, headspace model of working with Michael Phelps or the, um, you know, not headspace, uh, talkspace, um, the Kevin Love model of working with BetterHelp, the individual big star athlete or celebrity working individually in a space, it doesn't do it. It doesn't change perception. It helps sell more product, but it doesn't change perception. So I'd rather hold hands with a lot of different people, even if their platforms aren't as big, and create a consistent message across all those different platforms from military to law enforcement, to schools, to colleges, to sports teams, and weave the same here thread throughout it that's going to create more culture chains than us trying to you know put all our eggs in one basket of of uh, getting an endorsement deal with one athlete.
1: Eric this is this is amazing um the the fact that you I mean this is kind of like us in sports where it's a little ingrained in us to to give back and help and use the power of our industry but you've taken this to another level with the power of your experience and you sharing it cuz look even you're just talking about it it probably more than you'll ever understand helps so many people feel okay about telling their story. And the same here message is, is so true. Like your, your outlook of not necessarily needing to have the big flashy celebrity be involved, but it, cause it doesn't matter, right? It's all of us. We're, it's a five of five and to see what you've been able to, to accomplish after going through what you went through. And are taking it to a whole nother level for people to feel okay in their own skin to come out and say, hey, I'm I'm someone who has the exact same issues and everyone's got different, different ones, right? We all deal with it differently. We all handle it differently. We all have different traumas in our life, compartmentalizing it to a point where you get to a level and hopefully never get to that point. And the only way to do that is to do what you're doing, is to have the conversation and not have it be a stigma when you raise your hand and say, hey, I'm dealing with X, Y, Z. I need help. Uh, and this is, this is amazing and sports and you intersecting because of, you know, the value of it and the, the voice that it carries with, with, with sports, hopefully it just keeps going in the right direction. And we aren't, we are doing what we're doing with cancer and saying, this is, this affects everybody, right? It's not one in five, it's, it's five and five.
0: That's it, man. And, and, and I appreciate, you know, how quickly you picked up on it and, and that's the goal is, it's not my movement, right? It's, it's a movement where the idea came to me and I I feel humbled about that, but by telling the story and sharing the vision, it now becomes Chris's movement and Rob's movement and whoever listens to this podcast movement. And now you could share it with other people. And that's what normalized it. I'm one person, you know, and, and, and hopefully that helps solidify that idea. I wasn't trying to be, um, negative towards the celebrities that do what they do.
1: No, no. I think you are the facilitator on a great, on a larger scale of getting everyone to talk about it, which is That's is important. Hope. That's yep.
0: important. That's the hope.
1: Well, another message for everybody out there listening, is look, you're not alone. I think if you've listened to this podcast, uh, you've probably heard a numerous stories that can tell you you're not alone and it's okay. And we're all going to get through this. Uh, but if you are having trouble or need to talk to somebody, reach out. Don't go it alone. Go on the website. Um, Want to give that out real quick? Same here, sure. global.org. It's,
0: uh, it's same here. So S-A-M-E-H-E-R-E global.org. And then all the social handles. Two bigger ones are, are Facebook and Instagram. I know probably most people when I say Facebook in this age group would would say, what is Facebook? <laughs> um, But uh, Instagram is at same here underscore global. Same on Twitter at same here underscore global. And then Facebook is uh, just backslash same here global without the underscore.
1: Everyone should go. I've I've been actually this whole time exploring those star exercises. If anything, people should take away that no matter where you are in your life, you can always be working on your mental health. And it's just as important as working on your physical health. So, Eric, I... Can't thank you enough for your story. Uh, I'm excited to continue to watch where this goes. Now that you're a friend of the podcast, well, I'm sure we'll have you on again as we get through this pandemic again uh, together and our industry comes out, hopefully on the other side of it. But until then, we're all going to need to have a little little people to lean on. Um, so again, kudos to you. Congrats on your, your your success in such a short time. Really looking forward to see where this goes.
0: Thank you, man. Thank you for having me on. And, and, you know, I appreciate the, the potential for, you know, collaboration moving forward. And to, to piggyback on your point, I'll just end on this. You know, if anyone is going through anything, if you want to reach out personally on any of those, uh, those social channels, you don't need to be following us. <laughs> you don't need anything like that. Just I'm the one who answers the, the DMs because, you know, staying in touch with people is important to me. So, I'd much rather answer your question than you be feel like you're you're alone and, and there's no one out there for you. So please do reach out.
1: Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much again for coming on and sharing this. This has been so powerful and I, I'm pretty confident it's going to have a very positive impact on many people's lives. So stay safe, my friend, stay well, and uh, we will talk soon. Awesome. Thanks, Eric.
0: Thank you.